Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, aspirationally, boys and girls. Uh, welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure. On the line with me, I have Jeff McClure. Uh, together, we are bald. Oh, together, we are the Personal Wealth Coach and, and bald. I'm glad you got that straight. Yes, we have to establish, this is full disclosure, you guys need to have uh, total knowledge of the fact that there are two bald men with beards talking to you at the moment. The information that we're providing during this podcast is not considered investment advice. This information is educational because investment advice means that we know exactly who's listening and we can custom tailor all of our advice to them. So prepare to be educated. This is more of a timeless question, but it, you've alluded to it here. Uh, and I got this question in the middle of the day yesterday from a podcast listener, Arlen. Thank you, Arlen, for listening, by the way. He says, hope all is well. One of the messages I've heard from you and Jeff over the last few episodes is that fear in the market is generally a good thing. The saying is to support, uh, to support that is bull markets climb a wall of worry but I'm still not quite grasping why that's good. Does it keep the market from getting out of control? Thanks, Arlen. Okay, so Arlen, that's a fantastic question, and we have been remiss in not explaining this more. Uh, Sir John Templeton is the one that says bull markets climb a wall of worry, and he has a better, longer quote that is one of my favorites of all time when it comes to the psychology of the marketplace. And that is, bull markets are born on pessimism, mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. So if you take that as a microcosm, bull markets start on pessimism? How is that? Well, they start in the depths of a bear. That's how you start measuring this. We've had some kind of a collapse and that have extra money available. <laughs> To, to add to the system are what causes the bull to begin. They say, this is too cheap, I'm jumping and I'm buying this. Now, the people that are saying that have a great deal of hope in their, in their hearts. Hey, I need to buy this. But they are outnumbered by the vast majority of people. And all you have to do is look at headlines. At the depths of a bear market, the headlines are about how bad things are. And at the top of a bull market, the headlines are about how good things are. Both of them include that this is going to go on forever, kind of, kind of mixed into the feeling of the message of this is horrible and this is the new normal. Or this is wonderful and this is a permanent plateau of economic prosperity, which is an actual quote from 1929 newspaper right before the massive crash that led to the Great Depression. Why is that? This is pure psychology. Why is it that worry is needed for a bull market to continue? And the reason is that if a lot of people are worried, almost by definition, they haven't invested yet or they've gotten out of the market, which means there's more money to come into the market. This seems a little weird, but if you took a group of 10 people in a room and, and you said to them at any given time, how many of you think the market's going to do well over the next five years, really, really well over the next five years? If this group of people are normal investors, the people that answer that they think that the market is going to do well over the next five years are generally pretty well invested already. So you put your money where your mouth is 
in this kind of optimistic, pessimistic world. If there's a lot of pessimism, it's because people that are pessimistic out there think things aren't going to be good and almost by definition haven't put their money into the market or they've pulled their money out. So the more optimism you see out there, it's kind of a gauge for how many people have already put money into the market. And when everyone's optimistic about where the market's going to be, everybody's like, this is great. It's going to go on forever. Just about everybody's put their money in the market. Well, what causes the market to go up? People putting their money into the market. And if everybody's already done that, you've kind of reached the top. And if there's a lot of people that are still worried, then you still have a lot of movement where those people eventually get convinced based on the returns of the people around them. So this is pure psychology. When you're talking about tracking hurricanes or the stress of metals and how much it can put up with, that's pure physics. And you can look at momentum in physics as being a very different thing than momentum in psychology. Momentum in psychology is once you've been wrong in a crowd enough times, well, I think the market's going to crash next month. And you say that enough times and you've been wrong enough times, you change your mind and you say, okay, the market's not going to crash next month. It doesn't mean that it isn't going to crash next month. It's just that I've been wrong enough times. I'm going to change my mind now. So now the market's not going to crash next month. I'm putting my money into the market. And at some point, the last person does that, and that means that the market does crash the next month. And that's just the cycle of the market. There's a psychological aspect of this that leads people to make decisions not based on the reality of the moment. When we see headlines across the board that look at like what they do, like we, this, this week we have productivity increases coming out from the Labor Department. And we see the market rocking all over the place, terrified of this, terrified of that. That means we're in good shape for the long term because there's still a lot of people that haven't put their money in the market. Now, this code of productivity increases coming out from the Labor Department mean there are few people working in Labor Department doing more paperwork? Uh, yes, of course. That is totally what I meant. No, um, this goes on to a news release that's just come out um, from the Labor Department. They do that, by the way. They release news. Uh, John says, negative rates. Why do people keep investing in negative rates when U.S. investments pay positive returns? Is this lack of knowledge uh, or non-availability? Do they just not have access to the market? And that's a fantastic question. Uh, and he sent a copy of, or a picture of the Wall Street Journal, as he does. Nearly $16 trillion of global debt tracked by Bloomberg. Barclays had a negative yield as of July 22nd. Uh, meaning investors are locking in a loss by holding it to, ma to maturity. Okay, so why are they doing that? When the U.S., you were just saying, well, their interest rate has dropped, but it's still a positive rate. It's still 30% over what it was a year ago. Um, how is this not a good idea? And this is a really good question. If you look at the exchange rate between the euro and the dollar, you'll see that um, last year at, uh, this point, we, uh, the Euro, you could buy a Euro for about a dollar 13 and the exchange rate today is a dollar 17. It's a five, five penny increase on cost. 
it's not quite 5%. It's a little, it's right around the 4% mark as an increase. So a 4% change in the price of the euro against the dollar. The euro is up 4%. If you turn and buy a dollar-denominated bond that just based on the conversion rate drops 4% and it's paying, what is it paying now? 1.3 something, is that what you said? 1.229. 1.229. I'm sorry, 1.228%. Okay, so 1.228%, but you lost 4% on the exchange rate you still have a negative yield. So exchange rates get really complicated. If you're buying in euros, you get a negative yield on the U.S. Treasury right now anyway. Well, the dollar has risen about 3.3% this year, and that has caused a rush into treasuries because if you're, if you're from somewhere else in the world on average and you're using your local currency, converting it to dollars, you did it in January, and you bought into the U.S. Treasury when the interest rates are relatively low, your treasury note or your treasury security may be worth less today than once you bought it because interest rates have risen since then. But you've got a you've got a three point three percent kicker on average. So you actually are making a profit based on currency exchange. Right. So at the, the beginning thing, of the year the euro was trading at a dollar twenty one and now it's a dollar seventeen. So just depending on when you buy, that's an extra layer of risk, though, and why people are not flooding out of the European markets into the American markets is because exchange rates may change well, at they, any moment. They, act, they actually are pouring into U.S. equities. And the other thing is, uh, if you, you said, why, why hang on to uh, uh, Treasury security from Germany, let's just say, a Bund, when it's, got a, when it's got a negative yield? Well, the answer is, if you're German, and there's a lot of people who are German, or I'm, if you're, you're, I'm glad if you're they speak in Europe, German there, or they'd have nobody to talk to. Germany is the the foundation of the economy. Germany's economy is the foundation of the euro economy. If you're in the European Union and you're buying with euros, there's a tendency to buy and hold locally in the United States as well as in Europe and every place else. Well, not every place else. Some places, everybody, all they want to do is get the money out of the country. China is one of them right now. Would you like to hear the very technical... Um, a bias name that the behavioral finance folks and behavioral psychologists have come up for that bias based sure. on locality. It's called sure, I'd love to hear it. the locality bias. Isn't that crazy that they would come up with such an original name for that? Well, it's and it's there's a lot of truth in it because you can sense and feel and have a degree of possession of your local currency. Right. People people in the United States tend to buy U.S. securities far more than they buy foreign securities. And again, it does it does add a layer of risk. When you're buying something for ten years and you're going to hold it for ten years, it adds a layer of risk to it to buy it in some foreign currency because that's an additional layer of fluctuation. The dollar could fall at some point. Anyway, this podcast is called the Personal Wealth Coach, and that's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas. Now, the fact that it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything, neither, neither does the secretary, whoever the secretary is. And this tape will destruct after it's listened to. You the, dated yourself. This tape will destruct. Your podcast tape is about to self-destruct. That's why you can't find the tape in it anymore. <laughs> 
It already has self-destructed because it's too old. And uh, the information that we do present in this podcast, we get from sources we think are very reliable, but we don't make any guarantees as to the completeness or the accuracy of that reliability or anything else. We just do the best we can. Thank you very much for listening, if you have. If you haven't, then no thanks to you. Um, yeah. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail wake- waiting locally during the week at... 254-947-1111. Uh, real live people during the week, voicemail during the weekend, and that is also 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can email us through there, contact us through there, podcasts, newsletters, all that good stuff. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.